You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Let's turn to Psalm 56. I'm going to read the whole psalm and then we'll hear what God has to say through this. Be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. All day long they press their attack. My slanderers pursue me all day long. Many are attacking me in their pride. When I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? All day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, eager to take my life. On no account let them escape. In your anger, O God, bring down the nations. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, before we look at this, uh, you three guys at the front, it's great to see you, and I'm glad you've got apples, because I'm just about to ask you a question, and now you won't be able to answer it. So that's all right. But I was going to ask you something. You can tell me, is there anything that you're afraid of? Cameron, are you afraid of anything? No, I didn't think so. Ah, you're afraid of being asked questions. Joseph, are you afraid of anything? You are. Can you tell me? No, fair enough. Fraser, do you have any fear? You look at, you're afraid of your mother? <laughs> yeah, that's a good and healthy fear. I'm glad. That's a good. Yeah, no, guys, we, it's not. You shouldn't be, we should never be ashamed to admit that we're afraid of some things. In fact, it would be quite silly not to be afraid of some things. But it's what we do when we're afraid. And that's what we're going to look at this evening. And um, the short version for you guys is that we look to God and we look to his word to take away all our fears. And that's what we're all going to look at. There's a, a guy called Paul Tripp, who I'm reading one of his books just now, and uh, it's very Uh, provoking and very stimulating in lots of ways. And he talks about these fears that we may have. Um, He's talking particularly about fears that those in ministry may have. Fear of ourselves, fear of others, fear of circumstances, fear of the future. When I'm afraid, what am I going to do? Look at this psalm, verse 3. When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. Verse 4. I will not be afraid. It seems one of those blessed contradictions. I think that it's true that all of us are driven by our fears. We react in certain ways because uh, we are afraid of different things. We're afraid of being laughed at. We're afraid of being mocked. We're afraid of being bullied. We're afraid of losing our jobs. We're afraid of ill health. Uh, we're afraid of maybe so many 
different things. Is it wrong to be afraid? No, it would be really unwise and really daft not to have some degree of fear when we're faced with really difficult situations. But what this whole psalm is teaching us is that the real proof of our faith is when we face fear and when we stop it getting the ascendancy and controlling our lives because we're looking to God and looking to His Word. Now, to understand the psalm, you need to go back in the Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 21 and from verse 10 to verse 15. Um, King Saul, who had been David's boss, David's friend, had now turned against David and is trying to kill him. And on page 294, 1 Samuel 21, verse 10, that day David fled from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, isn't this David the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands and David's his tens of thousands. David took these words to heart and was very much afraid of Achish, king of Gath. By the way, uh, you young guys, who did David kill? What's the most famous story? Goliath, Goliath, yeah. So, and Goliath was kind of like their champion. He was like the Messi of the Philistines, okay? But a bit bigger than Messi. He was, sorry, Ronaldo. I forgot Fraser. He was the Ronaldo of the Philistines, but a bit bigger than Ronaldo. And so, when you kill someone's hero, someone's champion, and then you find yourselves amongst them, you think, "Uh uh-oh, they are not going to like me. And that's what happened here. He feigned. How did he get out of the situation? He said he feigned insanity in their presence. And while he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the door of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. Akish said to his servants, look at the man. He is insane. Why bring him to me? Am I so short of madmen that you have to bring this fellow here to carry on like this in front of me? Must this man come in to my house? So David pretended to be insane. I'm almost tempted to continue the footballing analogy by saying he pretended to be Suarez, but I'd better not. Um, He pretended to be mad, and he's stuck. He's really, really stuck. He's stuck between a rock and a hard place. He goes back to Saul. Saul kills him. He stays with his enemies, and they'll probably kill him. He has enemies, if you like, in the church and enemies out with the church. Where does he go? When you're afraid, where do you go? I think the Bible teaches us there are two kinds of fear. There is an ungodly fear which drives us away from God, and there is a blessed fear which drives us towards God. The ungodly fear paralyzes us. The blessed fear frees us. So I ask just a very, I'm going to ask a series of questions tonight, and there's a very first, a very simple question. What are you afraid of? What are you scared about? The small little things, fear of flying, fear of spiders, and so on. But I don't mean that. I mean the stuff that drives your life, the stuff that keeps you awake at night, the stuff that causes you to want to run away, 
Second question, who is with you? Verses 1 to 2, be merciful to me, O God, for men hotly pursue me. They're against me. But verses 9 to 11, then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I will know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And also in verse 4, of course, what can mortal man do to me? See, it's very, very easy to have faith in God and to talk about your faith in God when it's not being tried, when you are not being abused, when you are not being attacked, when you don't have enemies. It is much, much harder in one sense talk about faith in God. Because you can be scared of what people will do to you. I think if I was a Christian right now and living in Mosul in Iraq, I'd be pretty afraid. I think if I was uh, a Christian in Sudan, I'd be pretty afraid. I think if I was a Christian in this country and experiencing all different kinds of assaults and fears spiritually, because it's not just physical persecution, I'd be afraid. And we are scared of what other people can do to us. Most of what causes us to be afraid is really other people. Isaiah 31 verse 3 says this, but the Egyptians are men and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out His hand, he who helps will stumble. He who is helped will fall. Both will perish together. I love um, a similar situation that's recorded in 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 8. He appointed military officers over the people and assembled them before Him in the square at the city gate and encouraged them with these words. This is Hezekiah. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of the king of Assyria and the vast army with him. For there is a greater power with us than with him. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people gain confidence from what Hezekiah, the king of Judah, said. In that situation, it's imagine you look out, and Israel's a tiny country. It's a small country, and Jerusalem is a small city. And you look out, and there is the army of the king of Assyria, which is vast. It's like in Lord of the Rings, numerous orcs everywhere, tens of thousands of them. And you're just looking, and you're saying, we haven't a hope. We haven't a hope. I wonder if you ever feel like that. I, I will confess I do. It's, sometimes it, it appears to me as though every single week, every single day, in every single newspaper or on the television, there's more mockery, more abuse. People are saying, ha, huh, the Christian church, it's declining and it's dying, and look at us, we are much stronger, we don't need God anymore. I know an awful lot of Christians who struggle in their faith and who to some extent have backslidden and have given up because they are so discouraged by what they see around them. They, they don't see their workmates being converted. They don't see their family being converted. They see in their, they don't, they see in their churches people who once profess, profess faith wandering away. 
And it seems as though the forces of evil, the forces of the devil, are so powerful and so strong that they just get really, really flattened, really discouraged. I think one of the big mistakes we make as a culture is this, as Christians. We listen too much to the lies of the culture. And one of the lies is this, that things are worse now than they were. That somehow, way back in the distant past, everyone believed in God, and everyone, you know, okay, they maybe fought each other every now and then, but they basically, they had a belief and a faith in God, and now, intelligent, modern human beings don't, and things are changing, and unbelief is growing, and actually, that's a lie of the devil. The devil is brilliant at telling lies. There have always been people who didn't believe. Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. There have been occasions when you look at the history of Israel that Israel was so small, so tiny. They were like the Costa Rica. Sorry, I'm going to stick with the football analogies. And and for those of you who are from Tacoma and you don't know what real football is, well, well, the pars will explain all that because they've been acclimatized now. Um, But they're like, it's like Costa Rica versus Brazil. Or Costa Rica versus Germany. Just tiny, tiny nation. And God's people are, are so small. And it seems as though they're going to be absolutely overwhelmed. But the psalmist tells us, why will I be afraid? What can man do to me? Well, verse 11, quite a lot actually. They could kill him. They could lock him up. They could torture him. They could call him names, they could gossip about him, they could fire him. But here is the rub. Man is created by God and is under his sovereign control. And what the whole point of this psalm is, is to say God's power to defend is greater than man's power to injure. And yet sometimes we do not feel that. And so we need to hear God say to us, as Hezekiah said to the people of Judah, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because of the vast army against you. There is a greater power with us than with them. With him is only the arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Third question. First question is, what makes me afraid? Second question is, who is with me? And if you serve Jesus Christ, he is with you, God is with you. Third question is, what am I focusing on? Verses 1 and 2, they are a, it's a cry to God, concentrating on the dangers. Be merciful to me, O God. And then he goes, for men hotly pursue me, all day long they press their attack. My slanderers have a go at me. They twist my words. But verses 12 and 13 is very different. I am under vows to you, O God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. And the difference is this. The first is a brief cry to God, concentrating on the dangers. The second is a brief reference to the dangers, concentrating on God. The way for us to deal with our fears is to have a greater understanding of how great is our God. Calvin says this, the great object which these have in view is to shake our faith in the promised help of the Lord. That's what the devil always wants you to do. See, the devil's not interested in making you sick, and he's not even interested in killing you. 
He's interested in getting you to be so afraid that you don't trust God. And therefore, that undermines everything in your life. And Calvin says his great object is to shake our faith in the promised help of the Lord. And we are chargeable with limiting His power unless we realize Him standing at our right hand, able with one movement of His finger or one breath of His mouth to dissipate their hosts and confound their infatuated machinations. I love that. I love the language. But I love the image. You see the image? The image is the wee boy, the, the adult perhaps, standing, trembling before a host of enemies. And Calvin says, don't look at the enemies, because beside you is God, who with one twink of his finger, one breath of his mouth, can knock them all out. That's what we are to focus on. It's so easy. We, we, we sing sometimes, count your blessings, and a lot of us spend our time counting our troubles. And here we are, we take communion, and we look at who Jesus is, and we say, wait a minute, all this bad stuff is happening to me, all this rotten stuff, all these fears, all these things, and beside me is the one who, as we saw this morning, created the whole universe. He's the one, it doesn't matter who they are, God is beside me. So that then becomes the fourth question, what do I have faith in? Verses 3 and 4, when I'm afraid, I will trust. I will trust in you, verses 9 to 11. It's in the Lord whose word I praise. How does this trust work? It's not wishful thinking. It's not saying, okay, everything's going to work out fine. It's not closing your eyes and holding on. It's looking at God, looking at Jesus, and the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. And it works by the Word. Trust is not a feeling that everything is going to be okay. Trust is a conviction that arises from what God has said, and that says, no matter what I feel, no matter the darkness within, no matter the foes without, I believe what God has said. I'm not going to believe the devil I believe what God has said. I'm not going to believe even my own heart, my own feelings, because they get so messed up. I believe what God has said. And note here the, the wonderful contrast between the words of men and the words of God. Verse, verse 5, all day long they twist my words. They are always plotting to harm me. They conspire, they lurk. But God's word I praise. God's word I trust. I, uh, some of you know I quite like arguing, and I can do it. And, you know, it's very rare. Occasionally, uh, Emma Jane, a couple of times, has owned me. Uh, and uh, I'm still smarting over it. But generally, it's quite easy to take people's words, if you're articulate, and turn them around, and use words, and bounce them all over the place, and use them to harm and to destroy to a point where people are, well, what? We, we get so confused. We don't understand. We, we're not sure. And sometimes the devil is the, is, is the mar- master articulator, if you like. Causes so much confusion. And you don't know who to trust. 
You don't know who to believe. And the psalmist says, I trust God's word. That's why, for me, it's so dangerous when people who profess to be evangelicals give up on the Bible and say, oh, we'll take that bit out, we'll take that bit out, we'll take that bit out. We're just going to focus on the love of Jesus. And I'm going, yeah, but how does Jesus love us? When we're afraid, he speaks to us. How does he speak to us? Through his word. How do we know what his word is if we just pick and mix? We don't do that. They twist my words, says the psalmist about his enemies. I will trust in God's word. The devil twists God's words. The devil will take the Bible and misuse it. That's why we need to know God's word, and that's why it's so refreshing and so wonderful to be able to come to the word of God. What do I have faith in? I have faith in God and his word, which I praise. Who can I talk to? Verse 8. It's a lovely verse. Uh, When I came in here, someone said, oh, it's a really rough psalm tonight. You know, it's kind of depressing. I I don't know. I see things in a different perspective. I think this is wonderful um, and very cheerful. And I love this verse. Record my lament. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? Or it could be, put my tears in your wineskin. Put my tears in your bottle. I, I prefer, actually, I think it's a better translation, put my tears in your bottle. Because the idea behind that is that your tears are precious you know, in uh, Scottish macho male culture, it's not good to cry. And sometimes, as a wee kid, you start crying, and maybe your mom, she's not a good mom, I think, might say to you, stop crying. Don't be silly. Snap out of it. And sometimes that happens to older people as well. Stop crying. That's not what God says. God doesn't see us discouraged and depressed. He doesn't say, stop crying. Snap out of it. Look who's on your side. He says, I put your tears in my bottle. What goes in a bottle? What's precious? Milk and oil and perfume and tears. I tie this in with the story of Mary Magdalene who anointed Christ's feet with really expensive perfume and with her tears. Every sorrow we feel, every occasion of grief, I love this idea that it is stored in heaven and God will act. I read this week of a man in Mozul who was a Christian whose wife and teenage daughter refused to pay the tax that the Islamic extremists wanted to place upon them as non-Muslims. So they raped her, and they raped his daughter. And he couldn't cope. And he killed himself. And it's just, it's extraordinary what is going on in this world just now, as it has always gone on. And people say, yeah, where is God in all of that? Well, I think that God is aware, more than aware. He knows when his people cry out how long. Sometimes there is miraculous deliverance, maybe much, much more often than we realize. 
The devil is going around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you really think that you could keep him at bay? Maybe the reason you don't experience that is because God is, his angels are protecting you. But sometimes the chain that the devil is on is unleashed a bit longer for many different reasons. But never, ever accept the lie of the devil that God turns his back, that God doesn't know, and that God doesn't care. Revelation 7, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There's a a Puritan writer called John Trapp, and he has this lovely image. The Puritans were so good at these kind of pithy sayings. He says that God has a bag and a bottle. He has a bag for our sins and a bottle for our tears. The bag for our sins is thrown into the darkest, deepest part of the sea. The bottle for our tears is in heaven, and God knows, and God feels. That's why, list my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? That's why the kind of stoical attitude, I'm just going to get on with things. I'm just going to just keep going because I can keep going. It's not right. There's a time when it's right to cry and to know that the Lord wipes away every tear and to know that the Lord regards every tear as precious. And that's why in verse 9, he knows that God will act. By the, then my enemies will turn back when I call for help. By this I, know, I will know that God is for me. Trust leads to prayer. Like we saw last week, I think we don't pray because we don't have faith. Calvin's we saying about how prayer is the expression of faith. Mike Reeves' we book, Prayer is Faith in Action. Prayer is the way in which true faith expresses itself. I love Spurgeon's saying of this, the open mouths of sinners when they rage against us should open our mouths in prayer. When people rage against us, we don't rage back. We open our mouths in prayer. Who can I talk to? Who is with me? What am I focusing on? What do I have faith in? What am I afraid of? Lastly, what can I do? Verses 12 and 13. I will commit myself to God because I'm under vows to God. I will present thank offerings to you, O God. I will walk before God in the light of life. Now, that whole image of walking before God in light only fully comes in in terms of understanding in Jesus. John 8, 12, Jesus says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The more the world threatens, the greater our commitment. It's strange, isn't it? People say, no, no, we need to back off. We need to back off the world. We're being attacked in this way. We're being attacked in this way. I feel like giving up. But the Christian comes to God and says, Lord, it has ever been thus. It has ever been this way. And I'm coming to you. And I'm going to be more committed to you It's not that we're trying to earn God's salvation. It's not that we're trying to say, God, I'm going to do this and then you will do that. 
but it's rather recognizing that every experience we have, including the negative ones, including the deliverances we experience as well, they make us determined to advance spiritually. Every experience will draw me closer to God. I think this whole psalm is telling us we must not forget God's goodness. When we are faced with the trouble and difficulties that come into our lives, troubles in our families, troubles with our finances, troubles with our health, troubles in our church, troubles in our culture, we are too often overcome and too often afraid. When we are delivered from it, we too often forget God. It's incredible, really. When Britain was about to be invaded by the Nazis, what did the government do? Winston Churchill called on the whole nation to have a day of prayer and fasting. Now, what does our government do? We don't do God. I think that uh, this nation will have to get in a whole lot of trouble before our leaders start asking us genuinely to call on the God of the Bible. But maybe some of us as Christians as well, maybe God has delivered you, and He's delivered you in some spectacular ways. You think back to real answered prayer. You think back to when you became a Christian. You think back to some troubles that you went through and how God brought you through that, and now you're living your life as though none of that ever happened. We too often forget God. And I think this psalm is a wonderful psalm. David, in the midst of the most incredible pressure, in the midst of the most incredible tension, this, the, the temptation to just give up, to either compromise in some way, join the Philistines, or give up, just walk back, and, well, what will be will be. If Saul kills me, he kills me. But instead of that, it's a crazy thing he did at one level, pretending to be mad. It was a desperate thing. The fact that he wasn't mad is indicated by, by the fact that he wrote this song, probably at that time, a song when the Philistines had seized him in Gath. And I just simply ask you, as we prepare to um, take communion, we think about what Christ has done for us. When are you afraid? When you are afraid, who do you trust? Whose word do you praise? Why are you afraid of what human beings say? Why are you afraid of lies and slander and mockery and misunderstanding and abuse? Why not trust the God whose word is absolute truth and whose love for you is such that every single tear is recorded in his book? It's kept in his bottle. He knows our God is great in power, and He is great in love, and great in compassion. Amen. Let's sing um, the remaining verses of that psalm. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace 
the Centre for Public Christianity at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.